With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. P-S-N-Y. just after 820 um may 18th continuing our a through z series tonight we have the celtics and as always uh taping with my guy chip murphy chip what's going on how's it going i'm okay man uh another day in quarantine uh just finished season two of the good place so that was nice. Ooh, very happy okay. to get that out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> is that, liking that show. Was that really good? liking am that I, show? Am I gonna have to put that on the list or not? Yeah, definitely. Highly recommend it. Highly okay. recommend it. All right. I think. Uh, yeah. I think. Yeah. There's no shortage of shows that need to be on anyone's list at this point. Um, yeah. So whatever platform, Netflix, Hulu, you know, it's it's we're not really making dents in them because we're we're just at home. So you know. Short seasons, too. Oh, okay. That's always a plus. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so tonight, as I was saying before, we are covering the Boston Celtics. As Knicks fans, Chip and I are putting the guards down, and we are bringing on a very, very talented uh, Celtics writer, Matt Esposito. He is a site director for a very new and cool site called The Playgrounder. He also writes. He's a contributor for... Red's Army, um, love his video play-by-play stuff. Matt, what's going on, man? Glad to have you on. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Um, about the good place. So <laughs> yes, I love it. We're already in. You there. know, all right. So it had a twist ending that I was very embarrassed I didn't see coming at the end of season one. But it it'll it'll get you a little bit and. Um, I recommend it. It's it's a feel good show. I love Cheers, and to see like Ted Danson, um, you know, kind of back on TV was really cool. So you, you, I recommend it. You gotta go for it. If you guys yeah. could just hit me with like a real quick plot synopsis, like what what am I what what can I expect here? Without giving it away. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, so some people die. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Which sounds morbid for like, okay. a, yeah, but, <laughs> but it's not. Die. Yeah. And they go to the good place, right? Oh, all right. All right. Okay. Some shenanigans happen. I don't know how, Chip, how would you mm. describe it? I'm tr- I'm really trying hard not to, <laughs> not to spoil the first right. season twist. I, I, <laughs> they go to a really, they go to a good place after they died. The main character the main character goes to the good place and she's not supposed to be there. Uh, they they uh, mix her up for someone else. 
Uh, and that happens with uh, another character there who's the best character. He's a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, and he always yells out Blake Bortles' name. He's wow. hilarious. And in the process of the show, they explain like the backstories of the four main characters and uh, their soulmates and uh, how they got to the point where they died. And the fir- like, like Matt said, the first season finale twist you don't see coming. It's crazy. And Ted Danson is amazing. Just amazing. Ted Danson at his best. Like, I'll he's take always it. fantastic. I'll- be- yeah. Before you move on, I'll take it because I, I think you know I, I saw a little bit of Ted Danson uh, in a show that I never really got into, and then I tried like a trial of Prime and started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, and oh, um, and he had like some amazing parts in that, and I thought he was super funny. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 down with Ted Danson, so I'm, I'll definitely give it a try for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we shift in and shift our focus towards the Celtics. Before we get into kind of, you know, the the players, uh, the staff, the the season this year, the outlook for next year, uh, Matt, just really want to kind of just pick your brain in terms of, you know, how your fandom for the Celtics started. You know, where does your pride and passion come from in terms of, um, you know, is it is it long rooted? You know, from once you were a kid, is it recent? You know, some of our writers have been transplants that have moved to other places and adopted those teams. So how did it all start for you? So I'm from like South Central Connecticut and like kind of near New Haven, in between New Haven and Hartford. And uh, we, we only have UConn, which is all, not only UConn, right? UConn's a great college basketball program. but you, So everyone's either a Celtics fan or a Knicks fan. Um, and just the way it kind of happened for me, uh, my father went to Boston University and Suffolk, and he was there during some really good Celtics teams. So, you know, you, you inherit that from your parents. Um, so I became a Celtics fan, and I, you know, really fell in love with them when they were that, you know, 07, 08 team. Um, and that's when my fandom really picked up. And then in terms of writing, you know, I I graduated with a degree in history, and um, – which, you know, the only thing more useless in a degree in history is, like, a graduate degree in history. So I got that, too. <laughs> you, just, you doubled down. You were like, listen, I'm going for it. That's right. Bet, bet on yourself, they say. So, That's right. Um, I figured out through those degrees that I really liked writing. And, um, and why not combine writing and basketball? And, and I think that, like, articulating your written words is a challenge. And it's a really good feeling when you, when you get it right. Um, so it's, it's fun for me. It's a little obsessive at times, but it's, it's cool to, um, express my thoughts about a team and do it. And I think that's like a smart and fun way. So, you know, hopefully, um, bigger and better things from here, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just a fun hobby that I can always do. So I like it. Yeah, it's definitely, um, it can be like, it's so successful when you hit on it and you feel like you've, like you said, articulated what you want and in a way that makes sense for other people to read and is also interesting too. Like that's a big piece of it as well. Um, how do you feel like what, what do you, um, in terms of like evaluating your own writing, where do you feel like you get the most, I guess, useful feedback, whether it's from like an editor or like a comment on, you know, Twitter or something like that, you know, where do you feel like you get, um, the most useful feedback from? 
So one of the things that I, I have a buddy who lives in Boston and um, he loves reading and he's an accountant right now during quarantine and he's a really good one. So he works from home and has some free time and I'll just, um, I text him, I'll text him an article and he'll read through it. And uh, he's pretty, we've been friends for a long time. So he gives me the honest feedback and sometimes he can be blind and be like, no, this sucked. I'm like, all right, wow. <laughs> like, okay. start over. That must be a good friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can be a little harsh sometimes, but it's, you know, it's no big deal. It's worth it. Um, and then I also like to reach out to other writers, especially, like, you know, use the resources you have. If I'm right. writing something about a team I'm not too, too familiar with, but I still want to pursue, um, I'll reach out to different guys and just DM them and say, hey, you know, give me a quote on this. And then, could you read the article? Like, what worked? What did you think I was maybe a little off on? So, you know, Twitter's a resource, and I think sometimes people don't view it that way, and, and it really helps with my writing, and I think it could help with, uh, you know, everyone else's writing as well. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that, too. Um, and I think that, well, I'll try and transition this, but the, the, the evaluation process uh, in writing is, is obviously very different from what goes on, you know, in a basketball court and within a franchise. But um, as Knicks fans, I'm, I'm sure we are somewhat jealous of, of the two evaluators, at least the, the more public ones that you have in Boston, in Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. Um, the question I want to ask you about Ainge is he's, he's been successful for a long period of time. And, you know, he's, he's had his criticisms as well, I think, most notably when he kind of had the war chest of, of picks at his disposal. There were at least rumored trades that were out there for Paul George, Jimmy Butler, that, you know, the, the trigger was not pulled, you know, for, for whatever reason. Um, how much faith would you say that you have in Ainge to take the Celtics to the next step? You know, uh, they've been very, you know, impressively still within the top half of the Easter Conference, clearly a contender, um, even while losing Kyrie. How much faith do you have that he can take the Celtics to, you know, that next next level? So I, you know, Danny Ainge has a very different perspective in that he is a general manager who was a player, but as a player, he had sustained success, right? Even when he left the Celtics, um, he was on a Portland team that was challenging for the finals, and he was on um, uh, Phoenix as well, right? And and they were, you know, in the finals. So, and obviously he won his, his titles with the Celtics. Um, so, he, you know, most general managers, if they have a chance to land Jimmy Butler, Paul George, or even there, there were Kawhi Leonard rumors, they're not going to hesitate because they're thinking, I need to get this one championship, and you sell everything for that title. And sometimes I think that comes back to bite Danny Ainge. Um, me personally, I wanted him, if there was a way for him to trade for Kawhi Leonard and, and um, retain at least one of their marquee players, I wanted that, even if it was a year-long rental, because I just know how hard championships are to come by, and uh, I was willing to take that risk as a fan and Danny Ainge held off on that um, because he wanted something that could a championship run that would last for, you know, five, six, seven seasons, something sustained. Exactly. Um, So his perspective is just a little different. And I think as Celtics fans, 
some people see that and they're okay with it. And I think other fans, and I kind of fall into that category sometimes. Um, it's like, hey, let's let's pull the trigger on this, right? Let's like even a year of Kawhi Leonard, we saw what happened in Toronto, Toronto right? Yeah. And so you know, I remember watching that. I mean, his playoff run was historic um, last year. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I remember reading a Zach Lowe piece, and the Celtics could have traded Jalen Brown for Kawhi. Like, that was one of the deals, and I think they could have kept Jason Tatum. And I was like, man, I love Jalen Brown, but even for a year-long rental, you know, I would have done it. And I don't know. So that's the thing with Danny Age. Um, He can be hesitant, and we call him Trader Danny, but at the end of the day, like, he held off on Paul George. He held off on Jimmy Butler, um, and, and those guys ended up switching teams anyways. I, I don't. It's I don't want to say I, I have like a love hate relationship with Danny Ainge because I think he's done an excellent job, but occasionally I just come back and make something happen, you know. Um, but well, I, I do think they're set up for in the long run for a very a very good future. And I think too, like I see, um, it seems like that love hate relationship that you're talking about is very present on like Celtics Reddit, you know, and, yes. I, and it's, to me, it's very similar to the way Knicks fans react to, because even when things, uh, and trust me, this is a, a long time ago, so it, it, it's not like I have any recent memory, but even things are go- when things are going well, we find something to criticize. Like even when we have Patrick Ewing, who is one of the greatest Knicks of all time, like we find a way to to kill the guy that you know he could never get over the hump or whatever it is right and that's the thing that I'll see with Celtics fans on Reddit you know they'll say that you know Ainge um, you know he's either riding off the coattails of of certain past successes or 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 like we were talking about can't pull the trigger on a certain deal and that all, all that also kind of leads me to my next question with Stevens. Um, because I, I had my question here on Stevens and I'm kind of changing it a little bit because I had read an article recently that, and me and Chip, I know we would die for a coach to, to say something like a quote like this in the paper, but you know, basically it said that during quarantine, Stevens is just like devouring league pass. And they were like, Oh, like, you know, what, you know, what's going on with that? And he's like, I'm just literally looking at players we might target in the future, what other coaches' habits are, what other players' habits are. And like immediately I would just be like in full bloom love and I would just be like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. So my original question was like, how thankful are you that Stevens um, is the coach? And I'm, and I'm sure you are. I mean, most, most fans are, but there are, there are also people, and I think Zach Lowe actually brought this up over the summer, that like there's been some pushback on the love that has been there for Stevens, um, and I think if we can point to the the recent um, you know dysfunction with Kyrie and the Celtics franchise, one of the criticisms was that he couldn't handle the big star ego, and it was something that he kind of was like hands off on, didn't necessarily um, you know kind of like fully address it. So how do you you know? What do you feel about that criticism about Stevens and overall, you know, what, what's your feeling on him as a coach? Yeah, so I went back and forth on the whole Brad Stevens, Kyrie thing, because that's when we first started seeing the criticism. Um, and at the end of the day, I think what I settled on was I'm not sure any front office is 
going to hire a coach when Kyrie is on their team to manage him. I think it's more of a coach to tolerate. Um, and, and I don't want to be too harsh on Kyrie, but I think the way his personality impacted that team had a lot of residual impact. Um, so in terms of like X's and O's, Brad Stevens is, in my opinion, he's in that top tier of coaches. And I was really nervous when they hired him um, just because, you know, the the record of college coaches coming to the NBA oh, yeah. isn't always spectacular. Right. Um, but in terms of like scheming and, and game plan, he's 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 up there. Yeah. Um, even some of the stuff he did a couple of years ago against Giannis, um, that and, you know, other teams still haven't figured out how to defend him, and he was you know starting semi ogile right? Like it's he's he's not afraid to take chances when he believes in it. Um, and I, I, sometimes I also think Boston sports fans in general are a little um, what's the word I'm looking for? We're spoiled, right? Yeah. So if you have a coach that falls short a little bit, it's a lot of, it's a lot of pushback. Um, but at the end of the day, man, like Brad Stevens is never going to be outworked, right? He's, he's never going to lose the game and be like, man, I, I wish I went back and I watched that film. Right. Um, and I mean, he's still open to criticism. Like sometimes he can take a, to, a little too long before calling it, right? Like he trusts his guys too much in situations than at other times. He doesn't trust guys at all. I mean, um, me personally, I wanted to see some of the rookies play more this year. I wanted to see Romeo Langford play more. Um, I wanted to see Tremont Waters play more, not just because like he grew up 10 minutes away from me, which is pretty cool. But like, wow. I, yeah, it's, you know, Connecticut is known for like, I think we invented the hamburger and Tremont Waters. That's about it. So. <laughs> Tremont Waters. I like that. <laughs> like, a bit of good pizza in New Haven. I don't know if you guys have been to New Haven for the pizza, but it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I wanted I wanted to see him play those guys, but like, there are very few coaches I would take over Brad Stevens. Um, I, I don't know how you guys like. I'll I'll flip that to you guys. Like, um, who would you have ranked above Brad Stevens? Chip, I'll let you grab that one first. No, would I have? Anyone? Really? I guess you'd put Nick Nurse up there too. He's yeah, obviously right. Nurse Popovich. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Carlisle has been, always been a little yeah. overrated, especially recently. I don't think he's done a great job. His whole comments about how post ups are overrated, I thought was uh, nonsense. But he's up there too. I'm not sure if I'd put uh, anybody over Stevens except Popovich for sure. Yeah. But Popovich is definitely ahead of him as number one. I know. I, I know that um, he doesn't get as much credit anymore. Um, you know, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Oh, and Doc Rivers too. Sorry, Doc Rivers. Doc, Doc, Doc is Rivers. up there. There's a you know the guy I'm thinking of. He doesn't get a, a, a ton of credit as much these days. But you know, Spo. You know, Eric Spolstra. Oh God, yeah. You know, a ton of staying That's power. That's what I was gonna say. Um, that, but you always. It's it's tough. Um, that culture, the heat culture, right? You know, starting with Pat Riley is so big. You never know which one is is more impactful. But yeah, I think those are some good names of guys that we would consider. But it shows you that we're having such a difficult time coming up with names. That's how good Stevens is. I dude, I just realized we forgot about Quinn Snyder. Oh, so Quinn Snyder! Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's like me and great Chip, hair. me and Chip, yeah, great yeah. hair. 
great hair. Uh, me and Chip talk about Quinn Snyder like every third podcast, so like, yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised we didn't bring him up. I can't believe we forgot about him. Yeah, yeah, but, he, he's got a cool look to him. Like, oh, he did. He, he does totally. He looks he, like he uh, the, the scarecrow, right? Yeah, Ichabod Crane or whatever. For sure, that's good. Um, whenever so, my Reddit name. So all right, so long story short, I I, uh, I coach like a rec league basketball team, um, and I, so my Reddit name was Coach Spo, and like I wasn't thinking about it because like Esposito got shortened down to Espo, and my friends that had taken the E off, and it just became Spo. So like whenever I post on Reddit, I'll always have you know someone be like, okay, this is the burner account. <laughs> like, it's it's absolutely not, but I'm flattered. You know, I appreciate. It. That's funny. Um, Chip, I'm going to throw it over to you. Sure, man. Uh, thanks. Uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Stevens and everything and the criticism about him and Kyrie because I actually wanted to ask you, Matt, about uh, Boston. And I remember when a the AD trade stuff was being brought up and how Rich Paul kind of took a shot at the Celtics and how AD wouldn't re-up in Boston. So... I just wanted to ask you, uh, it doesn't seem like Boston would be a free agent destination for a guy like Davis and maybe not for Rich Paul clients. It doesn't seem like. So do you think like, you know, this is the era of best friends teaming up in the NBA. Right. So like, it doesn't seem like that kind of thing is going to happen in Boston and places like the Knicks are going to find that tough to happen too right now. So do you think like, this team, as it's set right now with Tatum and Kemba, top guys, do you think you're good enough to win a championship? You know, my heart says, yeah, right, because I, I want him to. Like it's, it's like that uh, that R. Kelly song. Like my mind's telling me no, but like I, <laughs> I love it. Um, Great reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't think in 2020 I'd be, you know, referencing R. Kelly, but... It's true. Here um, we are. Quarantine, you know? <laughs> so, my, my mind's saying, like, this season, I, I don't see it. I think they're a little young, but, but I do think... Um, my own way of breaking down the game is this. I think you need what I call uh, a top-tier player, and I define that as being someone who could be the best player on a championship team. And right now in the league, I think there's like eight or nine of those guys. Um I think Tatum can be that person. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. In time. Um, And, and if he is, you know, you've done your job, right? You need one of those players. And I trust Danny H to build around a guy like Jason Tatum. So, you know, can they win it this year? I I don't think, I wouldn't say it's out of the realm of possibility, but I wouldn't gamble on it. Um, But you know, it's interesting. You're talking about free agents and teams um, or players kind of signing with their buddies, you know, we're seeing what we're seeing throughout the league the, the last couple of years is major market teams in beautiful locations, right? Like the Clipper. So Los Angeles, Miami, um, and Houston's like always has rumblings and even, you know, Brooklyn places where players want to be for their careers, whether it's like their lifestyle or for other opportunities, they're keeping, you know, their cap space open so they can sign guys like Kyrie and Durant at the same time. Something that in, in Boston traditionally hasn't been one of those places because it's cold and, you know, there's like a lot of racist undertones in Boston <laughs> and, that, you know, the fans come out, right? So, like, and it can be harsh. You know, I get that. 
what they did, what I was very happy to see this summer was they had four guys on Team USA. Right. And that's where you build the bonds. Um, And you can even already, you know, search around the internet and see some rumblings about Donovan Mitchell and his friends on the Celtics from Team USA. I think one day I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Team USA guy sign there because they already have a lot of them. Um, and, and that would be something that would take place further along down the road. But like, you know, as, as you guys covering the Knicks, um, that's something that I think you can monitor going forward. Cause you do have guys on like national team, even if it's not for America, like RJ Barrett, um, he's going to play for Canada. Canada right? yeah. And yeah. He's going to get, he's going to build those relationships. And at some point, and by the way, I love RJ Barrett at some point that's going to pay off. Right, you're gonna get one of those guys, and and Canada's producing better and better players every single year. Yeah. So I think that's the way to do it, and and that's kind of something I'm keeping my eye on going forward. Correct me if I'm wrong. Stevens was also on the coaching staff, right, or no? Um, I don't think. Maybe not. For two, I don't know if he's on, but I I think he's been rumored to take it over eventually. Okay. And that's huge. Like. We even see it in college, you know, it's one of the reasons Coach K recruits so successfully, not just because it's Duke and the pedigree, but because he was involved in Team USA for so long. Oh, yeah. You know, he can say, hey, listen, like, yeah, I'll have LeBron James call you. And, and, you know, he does that stuff. So there's definite advantages to that, for sure. Definitely. And this is something I I wanted to ask you guys. I am – I have built like an RJ Barrett mountain and like I rule the land there and I have like a little fortress. Um, how do you guys feel about RJ Barrett? Uh, I like him. I like him a lot. I, uh, I did kind of like a half season, um, kind of like a film study of him. And yeah. the, the long and short of it for me is this. I was, I was worried about RJ Barrett coming out of college because the things I saw of him uh, when he was at Duke, you know, at least from a weakness standpoint, they were they were glaring. And, and you know, you always have to um, interpret that within the context of he's very young. He's 18. He's 19. But uh, I saw a lot of tunnel vision. I saw a lot of left-hand dominance. Um, I did not see a lot of great defensive play, um, you know. But, you know surprisingly when he came to the pros all of the defensive uh issues that i saw in college were not there in in the nba um he he was a decent help defender he kept his hands in the passing lane he was actually really good at getting steals on the pick and roll even if he um got beat on something he recovered well you know i i thought he was a lot of a smarter defender than i had initially thought coming out of college and you know, I think I was also impressed by the fact that being so left-hand dominant, you know, in the in the league, he still got to the line, not to the line, he still got to the rim and, and decently. And the one thing that I'm very high on with R.J. Barrett and even with his uh, youth is his strength, uh, the ability to finish through contact. I mean, he makes difficult shots and, and he makes them enough so that you know it's not just luck. Um, and I think that's a very impressive thing to have. The thing that it's always going to come down to with him is the shot. I like his form. I don't think it's broken. So I'm personally buying it. I'm also a Nick fan, so I want to buy it. 
Um, but Chip, what about you? Yeah, I love RJ Barrett. I'm a I'm a Duke fan too, so yeah. I love RJ Barrett. But I'm not I'm not worried about what I saw in college because I watched that team all the time, and that team was a complete mess. And I know it sounds crazy to say that because they had Cam Radish and Zion. Zion. Yeah, but that offense was a disaster. It was just there was no pick and roll. Yeah, there was no it was give sense. the give the just, ball to somebody and just get out of the way. Like yeah, and it was. RJ uh, ISO, Zion ISO, Cam spot up in the corner because Cam Reddish was Cam Reddish was a knockdown three-point shooter in high school. So they thought he was going to be the same thing in college, and he just mm. couldn't make a shot in college. Uh, and so that team was just a disaster, and they asked him to do – well, disaster sounds strong because they want a shitload of games, but they were, supposed, they were the number one recruiting class of all time or in Duke history, whatever. Right. And – I mean, they just asked RJ to do too much, and he was pressing on offense, and so I wouldn't take too much stock into what happened in college. And like you said, he was was tired on defense so much, and he played too many minutes. So when he got to uh, the pros, God, when they put him at point guard at the beginning of the season, I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. Like... Because I, I thought they were just going to do the same thing, like just put the ball in his hands and like ask him to run an offense. It's crazy. But what he is is he's really aggressive, which is great to yeah. see from a guy that young yeah. because the Knicks have so many young players on that team who are passive with Frank and Knox. And there's so many guys who come into the league who aren't very aggressive, who just don't want to attack the basket. And I think RJ knows that's his best skill right now because like you mentioned, Jeff, his – his jumper's not there right now, uh, and he look. He's eventually. I think he'll get there. Like you said, his form's good. Uh, I think he'll become a better shooter in time. Uh, he didn't make a lot of his shots at the paint this year, but yeah, I think that that'll come too. Uh, he's a rookie. I mean, like, shit. Dirk Nowitzki didn't make any threes his rookie year. It's true. <laughs> like, guys, guys struggle. Kemba Walker couldn't make a shot in his like first three years of his career. So. I'm not really worried about RJ. I think RJ is going to be a really good player. I think he's going to make a few all-star teams. I'm not sure if he's going to be a superstar, to be completely unbiased. I don't know if he could be the best player on a team, but uh, he hasn't shown enough for that yet. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he's going to be really good. I think he's going to be a really good player in the league a long time. So I'm sold on RJ. I really am. You can you can come live with me on the on the mountain. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, there's that's, space. Then again, in terms of Nick's rookies in history, the bar is set very low. So he's <laughs> all he all he needed so to true. do was Be have any semblance of a good season. Yeah. And he did. <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's someone I'm I'm super high on though. Like yeah. he checks off all my boxes. I mean, even if he's not doing it now, he has the ability to score from all three levels one day. Yeah. He can play great defense. I don't know if he should um I, you know, I don't think he should be a point guard, but he's someone who should be able to create for others. He's a yeah. really underrated passer. People have really slept on, on that. Um, and I just, I, I love his um, his basketball like DNA in his background. Oh yeah, he's yeah. His dad being a coach and everything. Exactly. His, Steve Nash is like his godfather or something. Yeah. Um, it's the work ethic's going to be there. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it might be a little bit of a slow burn with him, but you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like three or four years from now, you guys wake up and you're like, 
wait a minute, this R.J. Barrett guy is getting 23 points a game, you know, five assists, like six rebounds, and it's, you know, a monster on defense. You know, it's, it's going to happen. Just be patient. I, I, I'm definitely hoping so. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty high on it, too. I mean, I think um, I, I, one of the things that I, I like that I heard from a lot of the beat reporters was just his mindset, you know, like mm-hmm. the ability to put bad games behind him, the ability to put bad possessions behind him and just continue to focus on, you know, that that's that's professional mentality and star mentality. So right. I'm just hoping that that continues. Um, but I think that's also a good place to kind of shift uh, and talk a little Jalen Brown, um, who I know you've done uh, a really nice. uh, a ton of research on. Yeah. And uh, I was reading your most recent article about uh, Brown. And I don't want this to turn into a, because it's a very easy, um, like, kind of is- excuse. The, oh, without Kyrie, this happened. Right. Or without, but the two things that I noticed in, in the Brown article um, that I do feel like Kyrie has a, you know, a, a bit of an effect on um, were the increased percentages in shooting for Brown and more specifically the increased percentages in unassisted um, shots. So, you know, Brown has made a big jump this year and I, and, and I even wrote this to you on Twitter. I had to eat a lot of crow because I talked to Chip in the beginning of this season and we talked about things we were surprised about. And I'm looking at the Celtics cap space and they sign when they signed Brown to that extension, I'm like, huh. I'm like, yeah. look at the Celtics. I was like, imagine having your cap space tied into Kemba Walker, uh, Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown, and you still got to pay Tatum newsflash. Like I'm an idiot. So, you know, like <laughs> Jalen Brown is a really good basketball player. Um, so what have you seen from him uh, in terms of his growth? And, you know, does that, increase in shooting percentages, unassisted shots? Uh, does it have to do with the departure of Kyrie? I definitely think Kyrie had an impact. Um, whether I actually think it was a combination of an impact on the court and off the court. Um, Kyrie is um, like fake smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean the Jaylen world's Brown not flat? <laughs> <laughs> Jalen Brown was aching grad classes as a freshman at Cal like he's like actually smart yeah so I just I think it was a horrible and even on the court it was not a good fit um and uh what I was looking at the other day I was on cleaning the glass and I love that website by the way it's really good they're they're great. great and I was looking at his usage numbers and um his basically his efficiency i think it was his point scored per 100 possessions and like although his usage rate went up he maintained his efficiency um and part of that was you know when Jalen brown came into the league he couldn't dribble um and it's the more you read about it a lot of players are not good at dribbling the basketball um or dribbling with functionality right like like congrats, you can do it inside out dribble, but if you don't use it to get to where you want on the court, it's you know doesn't have much purpose. So he worked on that really hard, and that led to him. Um, it, it made his jump shot, in my opinion, so much easier because he already had the height and the elevation. Now he needed to create the separation, and we really saw that this year. We didn't see it on like a Jason Tatum level, but if you want to go back, and if there's one game you want to watch to tell the story of Jalen Brown this year, watch the Christmas Day game versus Toronto and he is just creating for himself in the mid-range and it's 
it's very, very special to watch because you're getting a glimpse of what he could be with more consistency. So, um, you know, he, the, the man just worked on his skills. He gets to this, um, a spot on the court that a lot of defenses are giving, like they're giving that mid range, low value too. And he just made him this year. And I don't know if he's always going to hit at that high of a percentage, but if he does, I mean, he's, he's not going to be as good as Tatum, but he's going to be a multiple time all-star if he can do that. So the shot looks good. Um, And we have to tip our cap to Danny Ainge because he was able to see that it one day could look good and, you know, tip our cap to Jalen Brown for just working on the skills. Um, And, and, you know, go back and look at that Christmas day game, look at the ball handling and you'll be, really impressed I remember that pick too I mean I remember um when he got taken fourth you know a lot of draft analysts were like oh you know a little a little bit of a reach here maybe reach you know uh certainly some skills certainly athletic talent but you know not really sure how it would pan out but again that goes to maybe what we're talking about earlier with with Ainge not necessarily um you know being so short-term sighted and and having that big picture mentality uh, in deal making and as well as uh, prospect evaluation too. Yeah. So one of the things about Danny Ainge that I should have mentioned before is, I think a, a strength of his is identifying players that have the potential to be a superstar. Um, so I think he's great when it comes to that earlier part of the draft, where some and you know you might say, oh, that's easy, like they're high draft picks, but at the end of the day, like a lot of guys were crazy about Marco Fultz and he had Tatum over him just on his big board and um, ball guys, and, and ball too. I think yes. he had, yeah, I think he had Tatum over him as well. He was, he was there. He was number one on their big board. Um, he, a lot of people wanted them to take Chris Dunn over Jalen Brown and he took Jalen. So he does great at that beginning part of the draft. It's later. It's a little further back in the draft where he's had some screw ups. Like he should have taken Brandon Clark. It would have been a perfect fit for the Instead Celtics. You know, and he went with Grant Williams, who I like, but right. Brandon Clark this year was awesome. Um, he's going to make the all-rookie team for sure. So, you know, I, I think because Danny Ainge probably played – I mean, we know he played with superstars. I think he knows what that mentality and that work ethic and, like, that it factor looks like. Um, and, and, you know, you can criticize him for taking players like Carson Edwards, who looks – you know, doesn't look like he's going to be that great so far, but – he nails his his earlier draft picks for sure. Chip, how about you? You want to get in here with another question? No, I was just gonna ask. I had some, I had an Ainge question, but we pretty we talked. I don't want to bring up more Danny Ainge stuff. I was just gonna ask about how I thought it was interesting how uh, Danny Ainge said that uh, he knew or he thought he knew that uh, Kyrie was leaving before the playoffs even started back in March or April. Uh, so he was already thinking about like new scenarios to approach. So it sounded like he was already thinking about signing Kemba or whatever. I thought that was really interesting. Like it shows what a forward thinking guy he is. I'm not sure if that's how every GM in the league thinks, but I mean, it shows what like the best GMs in the league are thinking. I just thought it was interesting that he, uh, and also most GMs in the league aren't that honest at all. Like it's, right. it, it's shocking. To sh- that level of honesty, you would never see that from 99% of the GMs in the league. That just shows what kind of guy he is. And it also, to have his level of job security must be helpful, too. <laughs> Most nice. GMs don't have that level of job security. 
Yeah, that's right. And another, so just, you know, just to add on to that and to talk about, you know, how we talked about connections earlier with like Team USA. Um, I read a good piece that Jason Tatum was one of the ones that brought Kemba over just because they were at like a Jordan thing together because they're both Jordan brand. Um, so it's so, it's so weird how the NBA works that way. Like, you know, we have all these different like pockets that you're in like, Oh, I'm, I'm with the, you know, Jordan camp. I'm with Under Armour. Um, I'm with this agency. Right. And there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes to where guys sign. And I think as fans, sometimes we look at it we're like, Oh, why didn't you sign here? It's a perfect opportunity. Well, it's like, all right, this player is best friends with this guy. And, you know, grew up down the street from his grandma and that's why they're there. So, um, you know, hopefully one day I can like be that insider and then give you guys a scoop and you can drop it. Oh, dude, we will totally use you for that. That would be amazing. That's that's the goal. I'll be your your source. That would would be awesome. Um, Looking forward to the draft. There's so many questions uh, still up in the air. You know, obviously, you know, where even teams are going to be picking. Um, what do you see as maybe some potential targets for the Celtics in the draft? Uh, do you see, um, you know, either drafting outside of, uh, of the lottery? Actually, I think they, don't they have three first round picks this year? I think. Yeah, they have, uh, the Memphis pick. I mean, it's not totally solidified yet, but they should have the Memphis pick. They're going to have their own pick and they're going to have the Bucks pick. Okay. And they cannot roster all three of those picks, right, like right. most likely. So we'll yeah. see what happens with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are some guys that, you know, last year I really, you know, got deep into the draft and this year I focused a little more on like the NBA season at hand. But um, I know there are some players that I like for the Celtics. One of them is Devin um, Vassell. I think oh, everyone yeah. pronounces it Vassell, right? But I think it's really Vassell. I think it's Vassell. I've heard Vassell. I'm going to go with Vassell because I guess the – the um the analysts that I've listened to that that's the way they pronounce it but I guess mm-hmm. as we get closer we'll figure out but I'm I'm very very high on that guy I like him a lot yeah he I I think unfortunately he may not be there when the Celtics draft um, yeah but he's a guy who ultimately this is going to be my my draft philosophy for the Celtics this year um they have three picks I don't know if teams ultimately want three picks especially if they're going to be late first but I want, I want them to trade up if they see a guy who can help them win now. Um, they badly need a bench scorer. And even if that means someone that could come in, you can trust them on defense right away, and they can take you know, two-and-a-half to three three-pointers their rookie year and make 36 37%. Like, that would help the Celtics right now. Right. Um, so Vassell is a guy who I'm, I'm really into. Another guy who isn't really in their range would probably – probably be um killing hayes mm. uh I, he's special he he should my biggest the, the skill that i prioritize the most um or i guess my macro perspective when evaluating players is you know there is a a, a three-layered like hierarchy for me and in, in what into what i look at so can you um are you good at putting the ball in the hoop are you good at stopping players from putting the ball in the hoop and can you help players to do that and he's the potential to be like very, very good at all three. Yeah. Um, if there's a way that Celtics could grab him, which I don't think is possible, I'd love that. And then there's some other guys like um, Precious. I'm gonna butcher his last name. Um, and I watched him play UConn so many times this year. Achua. Yeah, I, I I'm probably yeah, I'm sure. butcher butcher it as well. But I, I I 
I've done a little bit of research on him too. Like there's the upside there is 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 definitely pretty good. I've I've seen some Montrezl Harrell comps, um, and I, you know I think those guys tend to slide a little bit. Like there's so much emphasis on spacing the floor, but I, I don't think there's been enough analytics and stories written about vertical spacing and he's someone who who can do that and you know even if you can if he can play 22 minutes a night and just wreak havoc by always being a lob threat and just being a monster on the boards and he has a little bit of touch um he's someone who i can see falling to the celtics and i'd be happy if they grabbed him because i am not the biggest fan of their their big man rotation right now um but at the end of the day i i want the celtics to consolidate their picks or move them off to next year because they, they just can't bring everybody back. There's just no way they can fit them all in the roster. Um, Probably. you guys – I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. It might be foreshadowing, you know, some type of trade, uh, whether it's that they're trading up or, you know, who knows, some of the people that are on the roster. Their big man rotation is interesting. Like I know when uh, Robert Williams came out, there was a lot of – um, not like a lot of hype, you know, but like his athleticism was really big. Um, right. and I, I don't know a ton about semi but I just know that like, he's literally one of the hardest workers in the NBA. Um, he's a strong, strong dude. Um, you know, so, but I, you know, I, I, I'm sure that they could use some depth in that area as well. You're forgetting someone, Jeff. Wait, who, who am I, who am I forgetting? A big one? Jeff. Seriously? You don't know? Um, I mean, Who else is in their big man rotation? Thies? Daniel Daniel Thies? Uh He's from Turkey. Oh, Cantor. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I do Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Now 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 that Chip brought it up, I I've, I've got to get your unbiased opinion. Yeah. All right, so here's the thing. Chippin, I, I do not – first, Chip will tell you that I'm, I'm in love with Enes Kanter. This is not true. But um, as, a, as a Nick fan who had to hear Nick fans tell me that Enes Kanter doesn't belong on a basketball court, you know – That's I, not what I – doesn't belong on a basketball court. No, and that's not what Chip is saying. I'm not saying what Chip is saying. I'm, that's not what Chip is saying. But there was a lot of Nick's fan, Nick's Twitter that you know are saying he doesn't belong on a, on a court. But uh, it is true that his defense is abysmal, but he does service a need for uh, teams that either uh, need scoring down low, offensive rebounding, or, you know, some bench scoring. And, you know, I think he does fulfill a need there. What is your honest opinion of Ennis Cantor? So I once um, took an online class in educational psychology, and it was... I shouldn't admit this because like I, I teach now and I love teaching, but I did not like the course. And I found myself doing like, you can kind of fake your way through some of the modules or the lessons. So I would do that and I didn't really read from the textbook. And then it came time for me to do like the online exam. And it was this monster, like three hour multiple choice. You had to write everything. And I was so unprepared. That is Ennis Cantor for me. Like, <laughs> Like at the end of the day, he might be cool to, you know, cheat you to some wins occasionally, but when it comes time to see what you're made of, he just can't play. In my opinion, like I don't like Cantor, (laughs) right? Like Billy Donovan said it. (laughs) I I like the guy. He's big. He's, he 
plays below the rim for a seven footer, which is weird. And he's, I think he's a good culture guy. I think he is a hard worker and, and can kind of set a tone on a team that you might want other players to follow. But like, I, I was definitely writing a lot of, you know, who can the Celtics trade for pieces, just focus on Ennis Kanter. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was like my, that was my argument too. I was like, wait a minute, if Cantor is so bad, how come these smart GMs like Danny right. Ainge are picking him up or, you know, even in Portland, you know, and, and he did play well for them in the playoffs, um, but in a limited role. And Chip has, Chip has brought that right. up to me as well. You know, if you give him 15 minutes, fine. Yeah. You know, you cannot, you can't give him fourth quarter minutes, you know, when right. they're going to, you know, literally target him in the pick and roll every time down the floor because he doesn't know what's going on. Well, I, I love, um, I love the Knicks big man, Mitchell Robinson. Oh, man. I love him. I mean, his, his potentials through the roof, like he's, in terms of efficiency and protecting the rim. Um, Crown jewel, he's, man. He's, he's what we got. He's what we're holding on to right now, you know? Yeah. And the Knicks actually have, in my opinion, an underrated future just for what their defense could be. Like between him and R.J. Barrett. Um, Frank. Frank. I, I mean, they could be good. I think they can be really good defensively. They just got to bring in some other pieces to, you know, to smooth everything out. But yeah, he's, he's, he's a gem. Knox is such a wild card too, because he looks like, he looks like a three and D player, but you have no idea which way it could go. It could be, it could go really bad, but how do you you guys feel about Kevin Knox? I'll, I'll go first on Knox. I know Chip, Chip just wrote, um, I I don't want to say just wrote, it was probably like a month ago, but he wrote, a really good piece on evaluating, you know, his progress so far. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm probably lower on Knox than uh, a lot of Knicks fans, just because. And and call it maybe the psychologist in me. Uh, you know, I, I just his awareness is so touch and go. His um, his level of engagement in the game, in terms of what's happening around him, is so touch and go that. You know, I don't question his talent. Um, you know, I just question whether he can actually put it all together. And of course, you need time with that. You need time reps on the court. Uh, his shooting stroke is pure. Um, you know, that first year when he was a rookie, he actually had like a nice little floater that just disappeared during the sophomore campaign. And it was funny because when he started the year, when he started the year. It almost looked like he was he was very prepared and he was prepared to to almost be a role player because right. he was he was limiting his mid range shots and he was essentially taking all of his shots either from three pointer at the rim and Knicks fans were pumped we were all like whoa like this right. is the knocks that we wanted to see and then you know Fizdale gets fired uh, Mike Miller comes in I don't think that that necessarily had a lot to do with Knox struggling but his playing time you know. Um, fluctuated up and down and uh, I just I just don't know if if I love if I just love his ability his own personal ability and, and I'm not doubting his work ethic because from every everyone says he works hard I just don't know if he's going to put it all together uh, right. in in terms of being able to um, justify his draft pick where he was taken uh, and what production he can give us based on that I think that's my kind of take on him Okay. Yeah. And I think that's good. I think that's good take. I mean, I mean, he just, look, I, I'm glad you brought up 
what I wrote. Like, I still feel the same way that uh, now as I did then. Like, he's what? What was everyone saying when he was drafted? He's raw. He's got potential. And he would need three raw. years. Three years too. Yeah. He's gonna, he's yeah, true. he's gonna take about three years, and it hasn't been three years yet. It's true. And I think what I said when I wrote that was, are we looking at a future uh, guy, a guy who could be an all star at some point, or just another long line in a history of disappointing boss Nick draft picks? Neither one would surprise me at all. Yeah. Like, because I like I think the guy I compared him to was uh, Trevor Reason. That's who I. Look, he looked like a Trevor Reza type he could be. But he, uh, yeah, there's so much potential there, and he's so young. Yes. He and yeah, everybody just conveniently has, who hates on him on Nick's Twitter, has conveniently forgotten that he was supposed to be, uh, he was supposed to struggle. Yeah. Like he had That's a, true. he's played historically bad basketball, start out his career. Don't get me wrong. He's been historically bad. If you look at the numbers, they're so bad. Like, but I mean, he was like, he was supposed to struggle and now he's struggling. It's, we shouldn't be acting surprised. And it's not like he was the number one overall pick, the number two overall pick. You know, he slid for a reason because teams knew that he was going to struggle like this, you know? And I think at this point, if we can get him to be a spot up three point shooter, if that shot that can looks like it should be a shot can eventually fall. It would be nice because like I said, he looks the part of a three and D player. He looks like he should be a guy who can hit threes from the corner, who can defend threes and fours. And he's just been jerked around so much by horrible rotations. True. And he's getting passed up at the four spot by Bobby fucking Portis. Like (laughs) he shouldn't be losing out minutes to Bobby Portis. That's ridiculous. Like, he needs to play the four, and I, I don't know. Four. He needs he needs to get consistent minutes, and we don't have we don't have time to go into a Mike Miller con da- uh, Mike Miller conversation. Sorry, Mike Miller, David Fisdale conversation. <laughs> I apologize for almost putting your name in there with David Fisdale, Mike. But yeah, I Kevin Knox just needs more consistent minutes, and so we can get a more accurate representation of what he can be. So hopefully that happens in the next season. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah, I was I was trying to look up um, my player comparison for him when I was when I was doing some scouting on him. I think I had his upside might have been like a modern Rudy Gay um, if he could get there. But he's one of my buy low guys for sure. Like if I was if I was another team, I would I would try and get him on the cheap if he is available on the cheap and just give him minutes or let him develop because um, I think he has the raw talent. But one of the things I remember about him, um, do you guys know Sags Kanate? He was um, he was a center for West Virginia. He's, he's young. He's like 23, 24, and he's trying to make the NBA. But he's like this 6'8 behemoth with a monster wingspan. And I was and he, he led the, the NCAA blocks one year. And there's a game when Knox was at Kentucky where he did nothing the entire game but try and posterize him and, like, did it. And I loved his mentality of, like, he was either shooting threes or trying to dunk on people. And I think, I don't know if that's been totally un- unleashed yet in the NBA. Really? That doesn't sound like him at all. I know. I'll, I know. I'll send you guys, um, I'll, I'll dig up my, my stuff that I have on him. But that's why I was, that's one of the, why I wanted to ask you because in college I was like, this guy's trying to dunk on everyone. 
Yeah. And I remember watching some Knicks games, and I was like, where did that guy go? Um, I'll find it. I'll find it, and I'll let you guys know. And maybe we can, we can you know, write something up about but it's, it. But it's interesting you bring that up because that's also, I think, uh, not just the piece that you're talking about, but that attitude. Like, it was there because even when the Knicks – when when it started to become clear that he was going to be the pick, you started to see the reports leak that, mm-hmm. oh, um, you know, they liked the fact that his dad was a, f- a football player at Florida State. But the other thing that came out big and uh, was that, you know, Scott Perry, they had him in a tandem workout with Miles Bridges. And the quote that, you know, got all Knicks, Knicks fans riled up was that he bullied around Miles Bridges. You know, like right. they said he pushed him guy. around. You know, yeah. you know, pretty much the entire workout. So, right. you know, to see him and like Chip said, it's true. We he needed these. He needs the three years. But it was just interesting because it did seem like coming out there was this more alpha dog mentality that was there, and it's gone. And we just wanted to come back because like the talent yeah. is there. Like you know, you see you see him sometimes take off. You know, off two feet which we know is more difficult and two hand dunks and you know, he can finish over people um, even when the defender is within close range. And it's just, you see this happen every now and then. And I, the, the parallel I would draw is like, it's almost what you said about Jalen Brown in your article that, you know, after year one, um, year two, you want to see him take people off the dribble more because you're, you know, you're saying you have the talent to take this guy. You're stronger you could finish through traffic over this guy. It's like I think Knicks fans are so frustrated with seeing timid Knox not utilize, you know, his skills the way that he right. can. And it's almost to the point where like we would rather him do it and fail than just not do it, you know, because right. we're not on the verge of winning anytime soon anyway. So like why don't you take 15 shots and, you know, maybe dribble dribble into a double team, you know, like you know, see what Julius you can do. Randall does it all the time. <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> he certainly does. Um, Chip, anything else that you have for for Matt before we get him out? Uh, I don't think so, man. I was gonna. I, I wanted to talk about Ainge. I wanted to talk a little bit about Kyrie. Uh, I guess I just what real quick. Uh, everything that's gone on with Kyrie this year in Brooklyn. Like uh, all this stuff, like him saying that some of his teammates may need to be traded, and then uh, Kenny Atkinson getting mutually fired or whatever the hell that right. was. Uh, are you you were up close there in Boston watching that? Like he's barely even played, and the drama has still followed him in Brooklyn. Are you surprised by anything that's happened? I'm not surprised. Uh, but what's interesting is. He's supposed to be a little more, not reserved, but just in his zen because he's closer to home, right? That was one of the things we read about. Um, when it comes to Kyrie, and I'm going to say this on blue in the face, and obviously I don't know the guy, so we can only go off of like what we've read. And, and you know, I think that he thinks he is always the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a safe. I think it's. That, I think there, that's. Yeah. Pu- I think that's putting it mildly. Probably. Yeah, yeah. and it, it borders on like egotistical. Yeah, narcissism, and you know. Ex- exactly. It, right. it makes perfect sense. Like, if I was Kyrie Irving, you know, people were telling him he can be in the NBA since he was like thirteen. 
right? I mean, imagine you only play like 11 games at Duke and you're still the number one draft pick. So I, I get it. Like, <clears throat> but so I, I've been on like a handful of podcasts now. And one of my goals is to say a Drake lyric on everyone. And I, <laughs> I think I'm going <laughs> to, I think I'm going to sneak it in here. Do it. Um, Go for it. Okay. So this is what Drake said on his album Scorpion. He said, a wise man once said nothing at all. I think that is very true about who Kyrie Irving is not. Um, I don't understand why he speaks as much as he does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he, he, sometimes um, I say this with my family. I'll just be like, you've reached your quota today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've hit your limit of words you can say. Like you got You get, you refill tomorrow. Um, but you've reached your quota. I, I don't know. Like, I'll tell you what though, that is going to be the Kyrie KD Brooklyn storyline. Um, it's going to be amazing. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fascinating. Whoever yeah. they get is, co- it's gotta be Ty Lue, I would assume, but whoever yeah. they get in there, it's going to be so entertaining. I mean, <laughs> must it's, see. It's just like with their personalities, it's going to be like, if you put like, Jesus Christ with like a lightsaber and like a talking dinosaur in the same room <laughs> and, and made them how to convert, like have a conversation. It's going to be wild. Um, I love it. So like, yeah, I mean, obviously I'll be paying attention to the stuff like next year, but I'm going to have one eye for, for Brooklyn as well. And hopefully I can um, just take the train on in from Connecticut. If this, if this uh, virus dies down and, and catch some games whenever that rolls around, you know. Oh man, yeah. uh, preaching to the choir. We are all hoping that. Uh, you know, know, not just not even yeah. just live games, man. I would take a live game with no fans on TV at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I think we we'd all be on on board with that. Um, Absolutely. But before we before we finish up, Matt, I just want to give you a chance if you can tell all the good people um, where to find your work. You plug anything that you're working on now, where to find your your um, your work on Twitter, anything like that. Sure, thank you. Um, so I do a lot of promotion through Twitter, right? So at Matt Esposito underscore. Um, we're starting our new site. Uh, well, we we started our new site, the Playgrounder, and um, we have some good stuff coming up. We're gonna have some pieces on you know guys who we think we should buy low on. Um, I am gonna write a piece on Kobe White and why. They should sell high on him, and mm. I can't wait to see all the negative feedback wow. I get on that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'm already. I might just like block my mentions for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so we we got some good stuff in the works. Um, so you can find me at Matt Esposito underscore. And, you know, I love to interact with people. So you know, find me in there, and, and let's have some Twitter fun because what the hell else are we gonna do here? Yeah. Very well said. Uh, Matt, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, great I appreciate combo. you, Matt. That was awesome. Um, definitely, yeah, you guys are fun. As we've talked before, you know, big fan of your work. Would love to have you on again, whether it's Celtics or just ball-related in general. general sure. You have an open invite to the pod anytime you want, man, for sure. Yeah, um, I, I had a blast. I'm more than happy to come back whenever you guys want me to, to jump back on. Definitely, definitely. And for everyone uh, listening at home, please give Matt a follow on Twitter. Um, you know, hope everybody is staying safe, safe and well. And, and for me and Chip, we will talk to you guys next week.